Hi, and welcome to Cycles of Life podcast. My name is Jana Puisha, and I'm a certified life coach, trainer, and human resource professional, and very much a self-development enthusiast. This podcast is about our ever-changing life, because it's never just a simple straight line. It doesn't always have predictable patterns and turns. Everything around us is a collection of repeating and evolving cycles. So this podcast attempts to explore the nuance of life. I will be sharing thoughts and stories based on my self-exploration and work as a life coach, but also interviews with inspiring people. Hi everyone, thank you so, so much for joining in and listening to this conversation with fantastic Sarah Wheeler. Uh, But just before we jump in, um, I wanted to put a bit of a trigger warning. So Sarah's journey is very interesting but also quite harrowing and quite traumatic so there were quite a few things that we've spoken about quite openly that might trigger some of you so we discussed things like um, addiction so drugs Uh, we spoke about self-harm eating disorders sexual violence and assault so if this is something that you're sensitive to maybe skip this episode maybe come back to it later Um, but yeah take care of yourself and enjoy the conversation well, hello, Sarah. Thank you so, so much for being a guest on my podcast. You're extremely welcome. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Jana. Ah, perfect. So before we kind of get fully stuck in, would you be able to just introduce yourself in a few sentences? Who you are, what you do? So sure. Um, so my name's Sarah Wheeler and I'm a yoga teacher, Reiki teacher, and I'm also an author. Um I still find it weird that the word author rolls out of my mouth. (laughs) Um, It's being an an author and calling myself an author is a relatively new thing, but I've, I've been writing in kind of different ways, actually all the way through life. I always kept a diary when I was, God, I think from about age six upwards, um, loved writing when I was in school. Um, but you don't always necessarily get to write from the heart when you're in school, do you? It's more mm-hmm. about like ticking boxes, jumping through hoops and making sure you get some kind of grade at the end of things. Um, but yeah, in the last um, sort of 18 months, properly began my kind of professional writing journey by compiling different bits of works that I've been putting together over time and you know we'll get onto that shortly um let's see what else I live in Brighton Hove actually as people (laughs) say um I have been practicing yoga for probably just over 10 years um teaching for coming up two years um and it's been an odd time to be a yoga teacher it's been an odd True. time generally for all human beings, but it's been uh, it's been an odd time mainly having a big chunk of teaching time coming through the medium of Zoom. Um, so that's been interesting in the last number of months. Um, and I, I guess something that kind of sums up what ties like a lot of my work together is I just really, really care that people see feel experience and know but before all of that start to un like discover and unpick that they really are enough just as they are Mm, yeah hence I called my my yoga um brand I guess you're enough yoga Mm -hmm. very much um try to bring that theme into most yoga classes that I teach um 
I even bring it into how I teach Reiki, which is very much its own kind of um, its system. And it, it speaks for itself. You don't need to add loads to it. You don't need to kind mm-hmm. of like even necessarily make it your own. But I think in life, we can't help but kind of make things our own sometimes. And so I weave in that message of being enough when I attune people and teach people the sort of foundations of the practice of Reiki, um, because however much of that practice you're doing, it's enough. Even if you're doing five minutes a day of a meditation, it doesn't matter that you're not sharing a two hour Reiki session to yourself because whatever it is, is enough. And it's there to, you know, Reiki as a system is there to connect people to their true inner selves, which couldn't be more of a message of enoughness (laughs) if it tried. so yeah, that's just a couple of things about me. I'm actively writing my second book at the moment and I'm very much again focusing on that theme of, of being enough and unpicking how come people get to thinking that they're either not enough or too much or both mm-hmm. all at the same time. And um, yeah, exploring the theme of patriarchy and that as well, which is a big kind of underpin of my work too. Yeah, and I feel like we'll definitely dive into that in a bit as well, because that's something that I'm very passionate about, kind of learning mm. and educating myself. Um, so the thing that I'm really interested in is to learn how do people end up where they are. So would you mind sharing mm. a little bit of your journey, kind of what led you to becoming a yoga teacher, a Reiki teacher as well? Yes. Okay, that's it's such an awesome question. How do people end up where they are? And um, again, it, it really speaks to what you're talking about in your in your coaching work and and on this whole podcast about cycles. Mm. We we go through cycles and somehow on that cycle that brings you to to where you are right now. And then inevitably, because of the nature of how cycles work, you move on from that place and you're in a new mm. cycle, you know. So it's like the cycle yeah. of cycles. Um, so yeah, let's see, a bit of background. Um yeah, I think starting sort of professionally, my background was um, was in performing arts, actually. So I oh, went wow. to drama school for, <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> drama school for three years and got my degree in acting. Um, it was literally blood, sweat and years, blood, sweat and tears for three years. <laughs> um, it felt like it was longer than three years, actually. It was a really intense course. Um but I can't lie, like I pretty much loved every minute of it. And, and when I was ta- um, very small, I was a really, really, really shy child. Um, I found it quite hard to be around strangers. Um, and I think, you know, if you'd met my parents when I was very little as well, they'd probably tell you as well that I was quite reserved and mm-hmm. sort of well behaved as well. You know, I was definitely not any kind of troublemaker when I was when I was very small. Um, and then over over a bit of time, I started to kind of enjoy like going to dance lessons, spent a long time going to ballet, didn't keep that up for a massive amount of my life because I found the discipline of it and, and the pressure for perfection mm, yes. within that style of dance to be quite overwhelming. Um, you know, I enjoyed it more when I was little, but as I got older and actually as my body started to develop and I hit puberty and I was quite an early um, bloomer actually I started to um you know I got my first spots when I when I was like nine which was really unpleasant um and you know my body started to change I started to get boobs when I was about 11 and I was still kind of dipping in and out of ballet at that time and I just really felt like I I just didn't want to be there because the teacher was very much focused on perfection 
mm-hmm. and frankly I just didn't feel like I lived up to what she wanted from her students and it was a relief just to not go to ballet anymore but still um connected myself with dance and went to like drama and dance classes on weekends um and I felt like that was really what I wanted to pursue professionally and honestly there wasn't really much else that I wanted to do professionally apart from try and pursue that kind of career path you know I was never like oh I want to be on telly or you know didn't really care about being famous I was more like I just want to explore how the spoken word like in language performed in plays or the the unspoken word and actually being in silence and performing with people how that can make a transformative experience for both the performer and the person who's watching as well I don't think I would have articulated it back in the day (laughs) that way but that that was kind of the um the center of it for me um so yeah I did that I pursued my dream went to drama school and was lucky enough to get in when I was 18 which is um, it's quite rare um, and I was very much one of the youngest in my year group um, and I think actually it was probably around about that time when I started to become very aware of this strong competitiveness that there is in life mm-hmm. um, being kind of coached to basically perform at your best the entire time and then add a hundred percent onto that (laughs) as an extra because if you didn't then you wouldn't be successful in auditions you wouldn't be able to get an agent so everything always felt very conditional um but I never articulated that to anybody (laughs) it was like okay well maybe I'm just too sensitive to those things I'm sure everybody else has an easier time with all, all of that I just keep my mouth shut and just you know zip it and try and grin and bear it um But, you know, going back a little bit in time as well, as a a teenager, I was incredibly insecure teenager. And I think, honestly, I wanted to kind of pursue the the performing arts route because it gave me a hell of a lot of time, like not really being with myself. Like I got to be other people as characters. Um, And, you know, the performing arts is, it's a demanding industry and it is one that you sort of end up pouring your heart and your soul into. And it can become your life. And I think it was actually quite a way of me avoiding a lot of the feelings that I just didn't want to explore that I've been having since I was quite young. Very much feeling like there was something just really fundamentally wrong with me. Um, Like I didn't fit in. I very much wasn't good enough. You know, I'd always compare myself to my friends in high school. Like I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't clever enough. Add any word and I wasn't enough of that but I was also too much of something else as well. So it was like living in this swinging pendulum of not really knowing how to kind of navigate life and have any idea of who I truly was. And so the performing arts felt like quite quite an appropriate route to go down because it was like, if I can just stay enough away from myself, then I'll never have to look at that. But of course you do end up looking at those things because, you know, your kind of coping mechanisms start to spill out into life and, you know, I, I was quite an avid self-harmer as I was growing up. I used to sort of um, hold like pairs of scissors against my arms and mm. I never like fully cut, like fully down into my skin, but I would have frequent like scratches from scissors on my legs and my arms. So I was very much an expert in, you know, covering those areas. Um, and I understand now about those things, having had quite a lot of 
you know, insight and therapy from mm -hmm. some very brilliant therapists, which I think would be cool to like maybe link to after that episode as well. If yeah, yeah. Are Absolutely. facing those, those kinds of challenges. Um, you know, that was just my way of coping. Yeah. It wasn't like I wanted to die. It wasn't like I really wanted to do serious damage to myself, but it was a way of trying to let out some of this really unrecognizable and very mysterious pain that I was walking around with coming from just not feeling good enough, worrying about being rejected, abandoned. Um, and somehow that I just never quote unquote, like make it in life. So that was all building up when I was a teenager. And it definitely spilled over into the time that I spent working in quote unquote, the business as well. It was super challenging. And I was definitely not immune to the amount of rejection and um, upset that there can be mm -hmm. from being in that industry. Um, I left and kind of like giving a potted history, like I, I left the, the performing arts industry um, because I, it was ultimately incredibly stressful and I didn't like having this constant niggle in the back of my head, which is where's my next money coming from? Am I gonna be able to pay the rent next month? Or do I have to try and like go back to the bank of mum and dad and ask for some money because that audition did come through or I thought I was gonna get that part, but I didn't. Or, you know, I was still struggling to find an agent at the time. So it was, it was hard. Um, and I think for a period of time after I came away from that, I really struggled to know who I was. Mm -hmm. um, dabbled around with um, a lot of alcohol and a lot of drugs for a long time. Um, definitely identify as, um, as an addict when it comes to cocaine, but I've been clean for, I think just over six years now. Wow, amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you. I still, I'm like, oh my God, yeah, that, that happened and I'm still not using. Um, the last like 18 months or so has been pretty triggering. Like I could just really do with, you know, turning to some drugs, but you find ways to help yourself cope and definitely like working with some other 12 step system and for sure turning to yoga and Reiki has been, you know, sorry if it sounds melodramatic, sorry, not sorry, but it really was life-changing for me finding mm -hmm. those practices. Um, I hated yoga to start with. I thought it was the worst thing ever. <laughs> I thought it was slow and boring it was too hard and I didn't like that I wasn't good at it to start with and it was a kind of stepping stone on very much a new cycle of letting myself not be, be the best at something mm -hmm. or not try to be the best yeah. because that's really not the point of a yoga practice and I remember going into one of the first classes I ever went to and I picked a particularly challenging style of yoga um and a quite old school kind of teacher who was very much into sort of again <laughs> running theme perfection <laughs> mm -hmm. and alignment and that's great that's great if you want to teach that way and it's great that people like to pursue a practice that way but it's not for everybody um so that put me off for a while um and at some stage in my life I got really ill um I was very much overworked in a marketing and sales job that I was in and started developing in a really like atrocious migraines that would make me mm. 
pass out and I'd struggle to even speak properly. Like it would sound like I was drunk. Um, so having a lot of investigation for that under the really great care of Guy's Hospital in London in their neurology department, the, the registrar was like, this is pretty much all lifestyle based, you know, it, it will get better, mm-hmm. but it's stress and lifestyle and something's got to give and you have to start taking better care of yourself. And so I ended up quitting the job that saw me working 13, 12, 13, 14 hour days, most days of the week and on weekends as well. Um, and then learning what it was to really be myself again. And I genuinely don't think that I'd even been anywhere near knowing who I was. I mean, also like, fuck knows if I really know that now, I think it's a continual kind of discovering that we do in life, but there comes a stage where you're like, do you know, I am actually good where I am. Mm -hmm. I've done enough of kind of self discovery, shall we say. And now I use the practices that I have to just kind of keep this level of, keep the enoughness levels like filled up and feeling full is a very Mm -hmm. central piece of, for me, like not turning to drugs and excessive alcohol because I always felt like I was trying to fill a massive hole, like a big gap inside myself. I'd also suffered anorexia and that was one of the things that brought me again, like towards yoga was a really beautiful friend of mine who's, who'd been teaching yoga for like 20 odd years. She came in, just did a home practice session with me when I was off work and recovering from being unwell. Um, And I barely remember any of the shapes that we did. I barely remember any of the asana, but I remember lying back and just being with my breath and her just gently placing a blanket on me. And just, she just sat there for about 20 minutes while I had a, I think probably my first proper taste of rest. Um, And then there wasn't really any going back from that. Rest had to be something which was central to my life. and I intend to keep it that way and have been doing so for a number of years now and you know weaving the rest into my yoga practice and my teaching and Reiki and my writing as well you know infusing the rest and nourishment into the words I write and what I want to give away to people and that was a very long answer to your question. (laughs) I loved it no thank you so much for sharing obviously it's such a vulnerable story but it almost feels like you've explored every boundary, like you pushed to every boundary of yourself mm. and then realised, actually, this is too far. I need to come back. Yeah. Isn't that what wow. I am? That's, that's extraordinary, Anna. I've never thought about it like that before. Um, I think on the, I think the topic of boundaries is, is so important mm. to me as well. And yeah, just linking back to what you just said, like knowing how far is too far. Yeah. and where to come back from and finding these kind of um these sort of happy mediums and a happy medium that can still sort of express all the parts of oneself that are kind of outgoing and enthusiastic and outspoken and fiery but also keeping it in a way which is like healthy and not destructive because there's so nothing wrong with having those kind of big like fat emotions like anger rage and you know a lot of being an addict is that you're trying to kind of quash those sensations and Mm -hmm. thoughts and feelings within yourself and replacing it with something else and it becomes like the only thing that you know um but yeah then knowing that there is a place that you can come back to and that place is very much within yourself um but you don't have to do it on your own you know there's loads of people that 
are properly clinically and therapeutically qualified to help with one finding themselves coming back into themselves and you know using practices like like yoga particular mm -hmm. aspects of yoga like the pranayama meditation some aspects of asana as well which is i think is this the the strand of yoga that people are kind of most familiar with like if you go to a yoga class what you're generally going to see is people moving around their mat and making shapes which is the the asana limb of yoga yeah. um yeah remembering that there's a place to come home to having gone to the kind of edges of of where the boundaries are that's what it feels like and it's interesting because i think loads of people can relate to your story maybe not as I'm not sure how to say it properly, but for example, for myself, so my story, um, when I was a kid, I overate and that was for me, that's how I dealt with that. So mm. I just ate too much and that was my way of numbing those feelings. Yeah. So you said you wanted to feel the whole for me it was actually it was felt it was too much inside of me. So I just wanted to numb it and just make it okay, make it go away. And then when I go into my teenage years, I drank and I drank a lot. <laughs> I used to go out like five nights a week. Yeah. And that was my way of coping with that. So only now in my late 20s, I mean, I'm in 30s now, but I've started realising I just keep running away from myself. Yeah. And how much longer can I carry on like that? Mm. Yeah, there's only actually... so far that you can go. Mm, and, exactly. You know, you're still there in every place that you try and run to. Mm -hmm. Something that really resonated with me was when you talk, spoke about rest and the importance of that I just wonder if you could just talk a little bit more about it because we talk about rest but it just I don't know it feels like there's a lot of taboos it's a lot of rules around it mm. inside of us what are your thoughts mm. that? <laughs> oh my god I could talk forever about this it's like my favorite subject um I'm just thinking about how to kind of organize my thoughts about this I don't think anything good can come from being unrested Mm -hmm. um there's so much impact that can have on ourselves and the people around us you know physiologically psychologically emotionally mentally and spiritually when we are unrested um and it might feel like in life that there are not always good opportunities to experience rest some people have a life where they where they are able to have more rest than other people because we live in a world which is obviously so dramatically unfair and completely unbalanced when it comes to socioeconomic factors. We can't be blind to the fact that, you know, people live in poverty and people try to get themselves out of poverty by having two or three jobs. And so that person's opportunity to have like good rest is significantly different from a person who happens to have lots of money not saying that they got it by any nefarious means or that they don't deserve to have it but because there's such a wide um swinging balance of in inequality when it comes to socioeconomic um economic background um rest can really feel like an impossibility for a lot of people mm -hmm. um you know when, when i had that job that i mentioned when i was working like 13 14 hours a day I'd go home and sleep, but I, my brain was just like still wired from, the, and it wasn't just any job, like it was intense. And I was with people all the time and it was all target driven and, and what have you. I'm sure people can relate to that if they've ever like worked in sales, for example. Um, so I'd go home and I would 
going to bed to rest, shall we say, but there was no real rest that was happening because my mind and my body just couldn't drop down into a state where any kind of real rest, restoration mm-hmm. or even healing, dare I say, it could even happen because the, the brain, my brain was just run ragged from being so active all the time. Um, and so I kind of made a sort of deeper relationship with rest in a particularly significant um, period of my life. We'll use the word cycle because it very much <laughs> is and, and is ongoingly that way. Um, so in, in 2016, I, unfortunately, I was sexually assaulted at a music festival. Um, and we think that lightning doesn't strike twice but we know from experience that you know for for people that have experienced long-term abuse or even have been unfortunate enough to have like isolated experience of sexual violence it can happen again um and in 2017 unfortunately I was raped after a night out in London and it's very much so central the topic of what I wrote about in my first book which is called Shadow and Rose a soulful guide for women recovering from rape and sexual violence. Um, so there's there's more kind of exploration of that particular topic in the book, but what was in, in the forefront of my mind and in my body when I was writing that book about recovery and trying to be like a, a bridge between a person, you know, kind of um, disclosing or admitting that they've been through sexual violence. Mm-hmm and possibly seeking help in in any kind of capacity that they felt able to do so because you get to make your rules when you're a person who's recovering you only do as much as what feels right for you for your own recovery journey and you can explore um aspects of recovery that that feel right and leave the ones that don't you know some people like talking therapy Some people don't. Some people want to actually go and get a therapist. Other people don't. Some people just want to confide in a trusted friend or family member, you know. Um, But for me, when I was recovering, it was rest. That was like a revelation for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very lucky to be able to be referred to an excellent place in London, which is called The Havens. And it's a um, specialised clinic, which is run through King's College Hospital which is specifically for people that have been through rape and sexual violence, um, providing therapy, but also just like a resource, which was just a space to be heard and seen and known and to disclose in a very unpressurized way what what had happened to you. Um, And then, you know, the brilliant doctors and therapists there can kind of work with you to, to facilitate one's own recovery in a way that works for that person it's not kind of a bespoke service shall we say but you're the person who's recovering is very much at the center of Mm -hmm. of what is done to help with the recovery and for me I was just noticing like how tired I was all the time and one of the kind of um symptoms of trauma is just being knackered Mm -hmm. and it can go either way right trauma can be like you're insomniac and you just can't get to sleep or when you do you wake up and have the nightmares and the flashbacks and I definitely had a lot of those but actually I was so exhausted I think you know the body and mind was trying to process 
what had already happened in 2016 and, and get better. And I, I'd come a long way from, from that point to then, unfortunately, through no fault of my own, find myself in a situation where something like that happened again and it was worse. It was like a double whammy of the worst kind of lightning strike. Mm-hmm. Um, so the amount of sleep that I needed and like actual proper sleep, <laughs> uninterrupted sleep was, I'd never experienced actually being that knackered. Even when I had glandular fever as a teenager, I wasn't even sleeping as much as when I was recovering. So I get my sleep, but I would wake up and feel like I hadn't rested. And so I began to find like little bits of yoga practices that could help me. Um, I didn't know this is what I was doing at the time, but having understood a bit more about rest and how the relaxation response works in the body, I was literally letting myself heal and recalibrate alongside the professional help that I was seeking as well. Um, So, you know, very much the message of of Shadow and Rose is I'm not saying that rest um, and in particular yoga nidra, which I massively would just rave on about forever because it's so beautiful and extremely restful. That's not the only thing that a person should be doing to help themselves recover, like a hundred percent go and find a person who can help you navigate and work through the trauma responses that will come up and out of the body as you kind of go along the recovery path. Um, you know, trained clinicians, that's what they're there for, to hold space for trauma, which is, you know, my friend made a really good analogy. It's like trauma is like a pressure cooker that lives inside the body. And so from time to time on the pressure cooker, if you're cooking your stew, you have to let a bit of steam out now and again. Otherwise, the whole thing will just blow up if you just leave it too long. But you don't have any control or really actually any say over how the steam comes out, how much steam comes out, um, whether you get hit by the steam and you get a steam burn. So it's almost like you have to let little bits out, you know, short and often. um, But we can't rationalize or try to predict how that trauma comes to the surface, which is why getting professional help is 100 percent big thumbs up, go and do that. You do not have to do this on your own, but know that there are practices like rest or self-healing with Reiki and particularly yoga nidra, which allows a person to start to um, turn the volume or the frequency dial down on the very quick kind of brain waves that the usual Mm -hmm. very much needed rational and thinking mind has. And it begins to drop down into a state where the gaps between the brain waves are longer, which in turn physiologically begins to activate or catalyze the relaxation response from the part of the nervous system that's called the parasympathetic nervous system. And, you know, the sympathetic nervous system and its its twin, the parasympathetic nervous system, so central to helping the recovery of any kind of trauma, whether it's sexual violence trauma, complex PTSD, you know, war war veterans as well. So much research about that. And people can look this up in some brilliant books. There's The Relaxation Response by Herbert Benson. And, um, you know, the seminal, I'm just looking over right now just to make sure I get his (laughs) name right, right by my bed. Um, Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score. Oh, yes, I actually have it as well. Oh, my God. Love it. So good. I'm only just finishing reading it now because I had to kind of like dip in and dip out. yeah, we need rest and living as women in a patriarchal society, which 
have no problem saying out loud that that's what we live in. Yeah. Um, you know, rape is a symptom of patriarchy because it's not to do with sex, it's to do with control and mm-hmm. as a, a method of controlling and, and harming people. Um, living in a patriarchal society, rest is not um, advocated for unless you stumble across having a brilliant experience of rest yourself, like you happen to go to a lovely yoga nidra class or your friend shares Reiki with you, which is exactly what happened to me when I had my first experience of Reiki. She said Reiki with me for a short amount of time. And, you know, I found it quite intense actually at that particular point in life. But that night I slept like I, wow. <laughs> like, it was like I dropped into this place, which was like being in a warm hug. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of still how I explain Reiki to people. Um, there are practices that you can do to sort of in a very, I wouldn't say passive, but in a nourishing way for oneself. You can kind of fight back against patriarchy by letting yourself rest, getting off this hamster wheel, which is like do more, be more, get more. And if you're a woman, you're too much but you're also not enough (laughs) all at the same time and when we do rest without even having to think too hard about it something gets kind of switched on and something gets switched off in the body and what gets switched off is the kind of grasping to make sure that you're you know hitting every single promotion that you could possibly get in your life not that you shouldn't go for promotions we like that we want to like empower more women to go up the career ladder if if that's what what women want um but also switching on this response which is like I can do and have all those things if I want to have them but what I have inside me is already enough and everything else is is extra does that make sense it does so much yeah absolutely I'm just nodding away <laughs> to everything you've been saying. <clears throat> and I know you've touched around kind of topic of being enough quite a few times. Can we just go a little bit deeper into that? Because that's something that I'm really passionate about. And actually that's something that I work with therapists as well. Kind of that concept of self-nurturance and being enough. Yeah. yeah what does definitely. that mean to you? I know it's quite a big question. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a good one though. Um, being enough for me, if I just think about myself, cause that's always a good place to start. Um, being enough is knowing that I've got everything that I need and I might not have like every material item that I need. I might not have like loads of money in a bank account. You know, I might not have, um, (laughs) I might not have like a high powered job and and job security, but what I do have living inside of me is like this, this well that I get to nourish. And it's like the well of enoughness, shall we say? Mm -hmm. This enoughness exists in, in every person but I think we go through life and have, you know, tons and tons of different experiences and go through a lot of different cycles. And those life experience can kind of teach us that we are not enough or too much, like I said. And so discovering that you were okay to start with. And yes, there might be 
things that you struggle with in life there might be I use my own experience like as Mm -hmm. a a person who's been through trauma experiences and is still you know I still class myself as being in recovery from addiction and in recovery from PTSD real life genuine things will happen that will understandably completely knock you off balance but being able to come back to a place of knowing that who you were before those things happened whether you realized it or not that person was still enough and will always be enough and will continue to be enough whether more difficult things happen or whether those difficult things never happened you had everything that you needed to begin with and you've got everything that you need whether you um whether you live in in the west in our kind of um let's say, I don't know if materialistic is the right word, but I'll kind of do more and be more kind of culture Mm -hmm. or you're enough and you've got everything that you need. If you're a person who is, I don't know, part of, um, just springs to mind because I was listening to a podcast about it this week. If you live on a, on a Pacific Island and you don't have so much dealings with, you know, the constant kind of clamorings of like social media and having to kind of try and prove that you're being perfect all the time by posting every second about, you know, going to the perfect brunch or having like the perfect meet up with a friend where you didn't have any friction at all or anything like that. It was all just completely lovely and brilliant. And everything that you talked about was exactly what people should be talking about because aren't we all so perfect? You can still do all of that if you want to, but there actually isn't really a lot of reason to because you've got everything that you need already. And I think it goes back to sort of knowing and discovering more about like the reasons that I turned to using lots and very frequently lots of cocaine as well, um, you know, quite a lot of years ago. Um, I just didn't think I had a lot going for me. And so I needed something to kind of make me more socially acceptable, shall we say, you know, I didn't necessarily think that being a drug addict would make me socially acceptable. And it took me a, a while to actually go, this is, this is what I am. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what has happened and I've become addicted and I need to get help for that and try and, you know, get sort of clean <laughs> as soon as I can, because my health and, you know, my relationships are starting to suffer as well. Um, I think, we try and fill ourselves with a lot of stuff to try and prove that we are enough, but just don't realize it to start with. And another thing that I think is really beautiful that I discovered when I kind of get started getting more into like the meat of my own yoga practice before I'd even considered like, oh yeah, maybe I'll be a yoga teacher one day and give this away to people. It was in those moments just lying on the mat on my back or on my front or my side at the start of practice and at the end of practice in Shavasana you know I still can't really tell you what it is but something almost like magical not really understandable but probably a scientist could tell you more about was happening like physiologically with me it was like bits of myself were coming back to myself like little bits that I disowned because I thought I was too sensitive or I thought that it wasn't a good idea to kind of show anger to people it wasn't a good idea to speak up for myself because I'd be labeled neurotic as a lot of women are when they start to speak their mind and use their voices which is 
you know, very much left over from our, our times of, you know, the burning times when, mm-hmm. when so many men, women and children, but mainly women were, were killed in a genocide, which was also a, a genocide in, in um, you know, across uh, Britain and Europe in sort of the, the 1500s kind of era. It was not okay to speak up because your neighbor could turn on you and say that you were saying things that were, you know, heathen or against God. Um, and so it was unsafe for women to talk. And if you did talk, you were too much. And it was, you know, if you lived in, I don't think we actually use these implements in the UK. If anybody knows this differently, please correct me. But there was one of those implements called a skull's bridle. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, which was literally like a metal face mask that would be fitted around the jaw of a woman with a metal plate that would sit on, um, I think it was on the top of the tongue to like press the tongue down. And so the woman literally couldn't open her mouth to speak and she couldn't even move her tongue. Like she mm-hmm. literally, her tongue was being held because if she wanted to talk and even, you know, have a chat with friends over the, over the fence where, you know, you're tending your vegetables or something outside in the village, that was not allowed because it was, uh, it was um, against the rules of patriarchy for people to be able, I want to say people, I mean women, for women to speak out about the things that really mattered to them. And so I think if you identify as woman, we all have this wound that we live with and taking time to nurture ourselves in, in practices where we don't have to strive to try and be the best at that practice. If we're using that practice as a nourishment for ourselves, which can in turn kind of spill out and let us be more nourishing, kind and mindful towards other people, even people who might have like completely different opposite views about things and then what we might have. That practice brings us into that place of, yeah, that's all just like ancient history mm-hmm. and the wounds that we've been living with. We don't need to continually keep bringing them into the now, but we have to experience them, heal them, rest and be able to see them so that, you know, we, we can move on and actually properly discover and keep connecting with like newly, almost like every day, that well of enoughness that lives inside. Beautifully said. <laughs> Thank you oh, so much thanks. for articulating that. Sometimes so well, I wonder, I'm like, blah, 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 blah. Oh, no, no. <laughs> it's interesting that you touched on kind of like the history of witches, really, because one of my favourite podcasts is called Witches of Scotland. Oh, it's cool. Amazing. I've never heard of that. It's really good. I strongly recommend. No. Because actually there was a lot of that happening in Scotland and 85% of people who were prosecuted were women. And it's mm. interesting that you touched on that because yes, it feels like it was such a long time ago, but we've never we've never really spoken about it. Yeah. We never really dealt with that. We never really mm-hmm. kind of processed that trauma because it still lives with us. And that's what you said about women not being able to speak out. Mm. It's still here is still here yeah. because if you think like all the major politician women female politician they all still get called a witch right and it's, it's still a, a way know, to shut, like, shut them up yeah totally it's almost like the ultimate one of the ultimate insults mm, that yeah. you can throw you know verbally towards a woman is to label her a witch and you know, being labelled a witch and to go back into, you know, the sort of historical context, being physically branded Mm -hmm. a witch as well. 
physically having a brand on your body as a label to say, this person needs to be ostracized. They are, I feel my heart like beating fast, like just speaking about it. It's, you know, it's raw. And I, you know, I, I, I know from some ancestral healing that very much have witch DNA <laughs> with me. Um, not from Scotland, but you know, the Southwest of England, um, being branded as a witch was a label for everybody that this yeah. woman is too much. She's too outspoken. She's too out there. She is too, um, she's too unruly, mm -hmm. you know, she's too unruly to fit into how we say that we should be doing society, but she's also not enough to belong here either. Yeah. It's, yeah, very much writing about that kind of strange, like, dichotomy, pendulum within the sort of first draft opening stages of my, of my next book. Um, we all have remnants of this with us. Mm -hmm. And also men have remnants of this as well, because men have leftover you know ancient pieces of history to do with how they relate to women because women were really um were really labeled as as outcasts and strange and bizarre when difficult to control and so if they're difficult to control we have to like double down and try to control them harder and peddle a myth that you're never really going to fit in because we actually know you that you are both too much and not enough mm -hmm. and we'll do what we can to make you spend your lives paying for that fault that doesn't even exist in the first place was completely made up and you know this goes back thousands and thousands of years thousands of years into um sort of early christianity even before like even before gnosticism was a thing shall we mm -hmm say um there was this um i'm going to use the word like it's a conspiracy against women yeah i agree 100%. that um you don't get to have as good a life as a does yeah. because eve screwed up in the garden of eden to take a biblical reference and then before that you know the the incredible stories about um, the goddess Lilith. Yes, who was the read about partner, it. Yeah. Fascinating. The original partner of Adam. Mm -hmm. And she refused to be underneath him when they had sex. She was like, no, <laughs> I don't like it like that. And then she was cast out to go and live in this place that was inhabited with winged demons. The name of it escapes me right now. I've been writing about it, so I should remember. But yeah, like women have been paying for that. And I think it's amazing that women have got to the place where we are um and there's still a fuckload of work to be done and maybe actually you know work is possibly a misnomer maybe some of the work is getting still and resting when you can to start to uncover what you have bought into about this life that women are too much and not enough and how in kind of subtle nurturing ways you can begin to remedy that unpick it 
care for yourself. Um, and I'm not talking about getting rest, like spending two hours of every day lying down, listening to binaural beats. Because <laughs> people don't have time to do that. I'm sorry, but they don't. Like people have got money to earn and food that needs to go on the table. Um, and probably more than one child to look after. And generally all of that work falls onto the woman and, you know, big up to the women who are not doing it that way and have brilliantly been able to find themselves a nanny or split work up like domestic work, like home labor, split that up with a partner and navigate that. Um, But if that's not the case at the moment, then not every woman has a lot of time to actually rest. So it does become about carving out the time to get proper rest but not you know screwing yourself up even more and thinking oh my god I don't have time there's just no point in doing any of it like I promise you could lie down for less than 10 minutes or just sit for 10 minutes and just not do anything and maybe close your eyes and that's it Mm -hmm. and then things may start to come to the fore what is likely what will come to the fore is like the busyness of the mind to begin with and how not, this is a bad way of expressing it, I was going to say, we're, we're not used to just being okay with doing nothing because we're so programmed to be productive. Again, thank you, patriarchy. Um, we're generally not okay with just sitting and being like something has to happen. We have to be reading something, scrolling through the phone, sitting and watching telly, sitting and doing some journaling. Now, all of that's fine. <laughs> Do all of that but rest is like a sacred almost like cordoned off space where none of that need happen and just be open to what kind of comes through from that that space of nothingness Mm -hmm. I definitely recommend having a bit of a journal after just sitting and doing nothing for six minutes to kind of see what your mind wants to give you um but yeah do the nothingness first (laughs) then write no brilliant and actually I'm currently training to be a meditation teacher so everything you said it's resonating very much yeah (laughs) to be with ourselves getting to know yourself as a person Mm. without all of this external noise around you Mm. there's so much power in it yeah 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 and there is yeah I mean you'll you'll be a brilliant meditation teacher like it's just calming being in your presence over over a zoom course so no doubt you'll be excellent with people. Um, but it's important what you just said, like it, there is noise. We live in a noisy world. It's been a particularly noisy sort of 18 months. Um, and in a way, kind of rightly so, like people, people have got a lot to say. We've been through some really massive changes to how society functions and what we have come to, you know, hate to use the term, but what we've seen as normal has been completely turned on its head shaken upside down by its feet and then turned up the right way again and then expected to just go on and get on with things but also adapt to every single new change that's coming in that is being mandated or loosely mandated or shall we say coerced by by the government thank you so much Boris Johnson for just being the shittest nastiest kind of liar that there is and and you know the whole of the Tory party actually I don't have anything good to say about them but neither do I we're not here <laughs> that's to another topic <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no thank you so so much I feel like we could probably chat for hours but I feel like we need probably. to probably rein this in a little bit <laughs> yeah right <laughs> approaching in an hour already yeah uh, 
so what is next obviously you've you've said that you're writing a book right now um yes. is there anything else that you're excited about that you'd like yeah to yeah i mean there definitely definitely is and um yeah the book is definitely uh a what's next what's next and and what i'm excited about um i'm very excited about two book related things actually the first one is that um by the end of this, uh, that I'll put my teeth in. By the end of this year, I'm hoping to have the book Shadow and Rose out as a paperback. Amazing. It was a self-published book, so it was put as um, as an ebook for Kindle, um, with a sort of online part as well, which is where all the yoga nidras and meditations are housed on my website. But of course, you know, we don't all have Kindles, and it's so nice to hold an actual hard copy of a book yeah, in your hands and. I can't wait to hold it because it will be like part of a cycle coming complete when I actually hold that physical copy of Shadow and Rose in my hands. Um, so excitingly, I'm having um, a couple of testimonies written by clinicians at the moment who are reading the book and doing some of the practices and they'll be able to give, um, oh, it's kind of too late for feedback because it's written out, but they'll be able to give some testimony um, that can be put onto the, the front and back covers of the book as well. So very grateful to people um, again at, at the havens that I mentioned earlier who are helping with that um so that's one exciting thing the next exciting thing is I'm very much into the meat of writing the first draft of my book which is about being enough about that place of being too much and not enough and, and recovering from that patriarchal wound the curse of too much and not enough um thinking about getting the words rest, recover and rise somehow into the title as well. But that's a work mm. in progress <laughs> at the moment. Um, and I've got to say, like, what I'm excited about is just something which is just, you know, very, very kind of normal. Like, I'm just excited to be with people. Like I said, before we actually started <laughs> recording the podcast, like, I'm excited to actually be with real life human beings. Mm. And doing what I love which is sharing yoga and Reiki with them and I've been so happy like it makes me just well up and want to cry a little bit like I was able to teach two Reiki courses last week um this last weekend and the weekend before to attune people to levels one and level two and it was just magical being with those small groups and seeing people discover and start to realize that you know you can be a conduit for the beautiful energy that exists in the earth and around us in the universe but also begin to kind of get more aligned with the existing key you know or chi depending on what you want to call it or prana from the yoga practice getting more aligned with our own energy you know reiki isn't just outside of us reiki is in us already um, and so seeing people kind of getting in tune with their own expression of Reiki and then working a little bit, sort of experimenting with sharing it to, to other people within the teaching group. That's to me, that's priceless. And that's what I'm excited about. So just more of that, if you please. <laughs> Fantastic. So if anyone would like to get in touch with you, what are the best ways? How do you prefer to be contacted yes. or followed? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, followed such a strange word, isn't it? Um, yeah. So I do use, I do use Instagram, but I have a kind of up and down relationship with Instagram. I 
go through cycles with it. Sometimes I'm like, this is really good. Other times I'm like, I hate using this. And I end up just comparing myself to people. Mm. So I use it when I want to use it. And then I'll probably be quiet for ages when I'm not using it. Um, so it's You're Enough Yoga with Sarah Wheeler or Reiki Renge by Sarah Wheeler. But we'll put those links. Yes, the best I'll way them. To actually converse with me though and to properly, you know, write to each other in long form emails or short form just a couple of words is also enough and um, the best way to do that is I have a mailing list which is on my website and it's youreenoughyoga.com um, and if you don't want to join the mailing list that's all cool just drop me an email and we could chat there anyway amazing thank you so much no I will make I will put all the links below as well and also it would be great if you could link some of them um help that you've mentioned as well mm, yeah let's be really do that for anyone who um, needs that yeah, just to say, say, you know, once again, the the organisation that I was very fortunate enough to be referred to, but people can self-refer as well. You don't okay. have to be referred by an outside agency. Um, it was, you know, quite brilliantly and, you know, a bit um, unexpected that the police were 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 good when I was going through the investigations and it was um it was the Metropolitan Police that referred me to the Havens you can self-refer they have a website it's just the Havens um but yeah we'll put a bit more information about that Mm -hmm. I expect yeah no amazing and my final question that I like to ask everyone at the end is if you could give a message to younger self what would that be to my younger self yeah oh wow I think (laughs) I would say, babe, you're enough. Mm. And go and get that tattooed on your eyelids. <laughs> so you can't, <laughs> can't escape it. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anything more to add other than that. No, agreed. Well, thank you so, so much. What a conversation, Sarah. I really appreciate yeah, your time. thank you. You know, thank you for for the work that you're doing and speaking to various people on your podcast because there's there's so much to say about the various cycles that people go through in their life and you know have you know not have not been coached by you in your you know capacity as a life coach but it's just obvious that you know you're great with people and you're doing really important work in helping people discover who they are as well thank you so much for that thank you Sarah thank you pleasure Thank you so much for listening. It would mean a world to me if you rate this podcast. If you're using an Apple podcast app, all you need to do is just scroll down a bit and hit those five stars. Don't forget to subscribe, that way you will not miss any future episodes. And if you would like to work with me as a life coach, you can find all information on my website and you can get in touch with me through my Instagram or email. All will be linked in the show notes.